One of the core tactics in the culture war is for people to dig up old posts on social media and then smear you for it because by today's standards, they're offensive. But actually, there are many people who posted things on social media that were offensive even by the standards of the past 20 or 30 years, notably some New York Times staff members were called out by Breitbart and New York Times was not happy about it. In response, the New York Times said a cabal of Trump supporters is launching a campaign to discredit them. And I'm being a little hyperbolic, but what they, what they basically said was in the story, Trump allies target journalists over coverage deemed hostile to White House. In reality, media critics who happen to be conservative and some on the left wanted to show that this tactic applies to everybody. If you want to smear someone because of something they said, don't be surprised when they come and smear you. Well, here's the funny thing. In response to this story, basically everyone slammed the New York Times. Nice try. This is the elite of the elite, and even the left wasn't having it. Now, of course, the right wasn't having it because the New York Times was targeting Trump allies. But we even have left-wing outlets that were getting shared far and wide, saying journalism is an action. The New York Times is not exempt from this. Now, this is the gist of my main video that I, that, that I did on the book of the story, that their hit piece on the Trump supporters backfired. It was pretty bad. Well, now the backfire continues Check this story out from the Daily Beast. New York Times tightens up on social media after scandals. People are locking down their accounts. Well, perhaps you've learned an important lesson. There are a lot of people who have started deleting their tweets, locking their Twitter accounts and Facebook pages. And there you have it. Now, admittedly, I actually wiped like the entire history of my Twitter account. I didn't do it because I was upset over anything I tweeted in the past. No, I had a lot of excellent coverage from around the world. I just hate Twitter. I think it's a terrible, terrible thing that's causing a lot of problems. And as much as I still use it, and I've talked about not in the past, like not using it in the past, I decided to get rid of anything I contributed to the platform for a lot of reasons. And I don't post my content there anymore. I just kind of tweet random shower thoughts about certain political issues. But hey, it is what it is. If you post on social media, it's fair game. And I think our society needs to become more resilient to past offensive content. Dave Chappelle, for instance, he talked a lot about this in his latest Netflix special, which is amazing. But I don't want to rant for too long. I want to tell you about what's going on at the New York Times as the panic ensues and sweeps through the company. Because after they tried to defend themselves by claiming we're they're coming after us because because we're challenging Trump. Sorry, you opened the floodgates and basically told everyone start digging. So now they're locking their accounts down. Check out the story from the Daily Beast. After a series of online missteps, the paper of records publisher urged staffers to be more vigilant about their behavior on social media. Under increased pressure from outside critics and hostile adversaries, the New York Times is getting more serious about the damage social media can have on the paper. In an internal email to staff this week, reviewed by the Daily Beast, Times publisher A.G. Sulzberger said the paper would not be intimidated by those trying to undermine their reporting but urged employees to be more vigilant about what they say in public outside of written articles. Quote, if anyone, even those acting in bad faith, brings legitimate problems to our attention, we'll look into them and respond appropriately, he said. It is imperative that all of us remain thoughtful about how our words and actions reflect on the times, particularly during this period of sustained pressure and scrutiny. We all play a part in upholding our commitment to give the news impartially without fear or fervor. Yet, when all of this happens, what does the Times do? They blame Trump supporters. Sorry, the left doesn't like you either. 
Check out this story from Amber Ailey Frost of Chapo Trap House, the socialist, they call it dirtbag left, why the left can't stand the New York Times. And she writes that every morning she throws the New York Times into the trash. Yeah, sorry, it's not just Trump supporters. Everyone is coming for you because you are elitist. You're snooty. Let's go back to the main story. They, uh, actually, that's not the main story. That's another story I want to read about. But they say, the memo was a reaction to just the latest social media controversy involving the newspaper of record. Pro-Trump outlet Breitbart News resurfaced Times senior staff editor Tom Wright, Pierre Santi's decade-old tweets that included insensitive anti-Semitic comments. He apologized for the posts. Now, when I showed the evidence he did this, YouTube got really, really mad at me. And I had to go in after the fact and add a blur to censor what he said. Now, I find that disturbing because I was trying to provide evidence while denouncing the things he said. But hey, welcome to the new world of journalism. Let's read on. Several days later, the Times published a story about an infamous group of pro-Trump GOP operatives. Seriously, they're media critics, dude. They're not operatives. You're making it sound like a cabal of spies working on the, at, at the behest of Trump are coming for the press. It's like some dude on Twitter who reads the news. Calm down. They say I've worked behind the scenes to dig up old offensive social media posts of journalists at news outlets deemed the opposition to President Trump. The memo and article both alarmed Times staffers, spurring many to take precautions to protect themselves. I think people are being more cautious. I know people are locking down their accounts, one Times staffer told the Daily Beast. I can't remember who it was, but it, it, uh, I don't want to name anybody, but there was like a, a well-respected journalist who said, delete your, your Twitter history. Just just do it. Just, they just tweeted, delete your Twitter history. But I'll say it now. Like, you know what we can do? Just get rid of all of it. Just, just there's, there are services you can, you can go to online where you just click delete and it just wipes everything out. I used it. And it was kind of sad because most of my content was like, look, I'm, it's rather tepid. It was a lot of journalism stuff. Now, I did it mostly because I didn't like the idea that Twitter had built this horrifying platform based off of the hard work that I did. And I decided, you know what? It needs to go. So now I periodically just wipe out all of my tweets. You know what? Twitter shouldn't be this archive of what we say and do because Twitter doesn't deserve it. But anyway, let's read on. They say, quote, it's a full on issue now that even management is grappling with. Another Times employee said everyone senses a need to come up with a plan to handle journalists social media history, especially if this is going to be an ongoing problem. Oh, you bet it will be. The New York Times is reeling after controversy and controversy. Look at this one. New York Times columnist to Twitter critic, call me a bedbug to my face. This was a trend on Twitter where a New York Times columnist sent an email to some guy's boss or something because he insulted him on Twitter. These people need to grow up. And that's why everybody doesn't like them. But I'll tell you what, they're in panic mode, purging everything, locking things down. You know why? When they put out this story, they made the classic blunder. No, I'm not making a reference to uh, getting into a land war in, uh, in what is it, uh, what, in Asia? I'm sorry, I, I ruined the reference. I'm talking about telling people not to do something. When, like, when you put the story out there, they effectively said to every single person, anywhere, for any reason, just start digging through our history. That's what this story said. The best thing they could have done was literally nothing. Well, you know what? You reap what you sow. So as they mention, uh, I, I don't want to read through everything. They, they do mention that Jonathan Wiseman was demoted after two Twitter incidents. In one tweet, he flippantly dismissed the notion that Democratic Congresswoman of color, Rashida Tlaib of Detroit and Ilan Omar of Minneapolis, accurately represent the Midwest. That was, that was kind of hilarious. Everyone was rather confused by that tweet. And that civil rights icon, Rep. John Lewis of Atlanta, represents the Deep South. 
And in response to critical tweets on the matter from author Roxane Gay, Weissman emailed her, her assistant, and her publisher demanding an enormous apology. They are whiny children at the New York Times, and perhaps they could grow up and realize, guess what? We're all in the fray. And when you swing a punch, someone swings back. They seem to think they're allowed to dig up old tweets on everybody and play this game. And then, oh, harumph, I say, somebody is going to call me out for being a bad person. You are not invincible. You are people same as everybody else. I think the New York Times didn't get the memo that a right-wing populist won in 2016. They seem to think they are still the privileged elites who can, you know, rain down thunder and fury on the people without anybody reigning back. Sorry, in the new world, in today's day and age, the internet has sort of evened things out. And maybe you went to a prestigious school and maybe you're a famous New York Times columnist and then you posted extremely offensive content on Twitter and now we know and that will be used against you because you are not special. You're not. We're all people here. And if you think you can go after one person because they happen to be a Trump supporter, don't be surprised when the Trump supporters come back. But I got to stress, it's not just the Trump supporters. Now, I did mention this, but I wanted to highlight this story from just about five days ago. Breitbart burned the New York Times and the Times really doesn't like it. Now, here's the thing that's funny about this. This is what's really happening. It's Breitbart. Can you imagine? Could you imagine if you told someone, I don't know, seven years ago that Breitbart would take down the New York Times and send them into chaos? They wouldn't have believed you. They'd they'd say, oh, please, that right wing blog, Andrew Breitbart. Today, Breitbart is dismissed as the fringes of the far right. So even now, when you hear a story that Breitbart caused the New York Times to go into full panic mode, it's still hard to believe, but they've done it. And admittedly, or I shouldn't say admittedly, but interestingly, Breitbart is now certified as credible by NewsGuard. So I use this, I'll show you right here on the screen. NewsGuard is a service that rates the credibility of agencies. And you can see the Washington Post gets straight green check marks across the board. I slightly disagree with it to an extent, but hey, I get it. They're a third party. I have different opinions than them. And I I respect that. But they actually give a green check mark to Breitbart now saying they've improved their editorial process. So the war is on. Breitbart, once uh, considered, and even even uh, today considered to be fringe nothing, is going to, to war against the Times and winning. There's nothing you could, you know what you've done when you smear Breitbart? They're essentially invincible at this point. No, seriously, they've gone after their advertisers. The New York Times published an op-ed saying, you know, Breitbart, here's how you get rid of the advertisers. And they survived. And now you have nothing left. And now Breitbart has a counterattack. And they're going after all of your journalists. And what are you going to do? What are you going to call Breitbart? You're going to insult them? They've been there, done that. I'm not saying Breitbart is a great bastion of journalism. I'm just saying between the factions, you've got nothing left. And Breitbart can do everything and, and spare no expense to go after your journalists. And they really don't like it. Let's read a little bit of this because I want to see what their opinion is from the post. They say, they are bad actors. They are driven to suppress legitimate inquiry. They are by no means journalists and they read Twitter very carefully. Those are the contours of an alarm rung on Sunday by the New York Times. Yep. A loose network of conservative operatives allied with the White House is pursuing what they say will be an aggressive operation to discredit news organizations deemed hostile to President Trump. We get it. There are people who don't like you and your lies. And so they are countering with the same thing you've done. Welcome to the fray. You decided to step into it. No one made you. They say, and just what would uh, this damaging information be? Illicitly obtained DMs? Gossip about their sexual habits? HIPAA-protected information? No. Four people familiar with the operation described how it works. 
asserting that, has compi- asserting that it has compiled dossiers of potentially embarrassing social media posts and other public statements by hundreds of people who work at some of the country's most prominent news organizations. You get the point. I don't want to rehash the story we've already gone through. What did they do? Uh, kind of nothing. They're just going to like retweet you, I guess. Think about that. The posts from the Times staff, they're already public. So all that's really happened is someone is going to click share and the New York Times is reeling over the back over the backlash. But it's not just that they're being forced to lock things down. It's not just that their staff are panicking. Oh, no, what have I tweeted? It's that the left and the right slammed them. Like I mentioned, splinter. This was shared by Brian Stelter of CNN. We now have this from the winter issue of the Columbia Journalism Review, why the left can't stand the New York Times. And the Daily Wire reports, let me scroll back up to the top. New York Times freaks out over old tweets, gets mocked by everyone. It was truly a glorious moment. I got to say, I was really happy um, because it was unity in this country. There was unity for a brief moment. The left and the right came together to laugh at the New York Times because they think they're special. So here's the other thing right? It's been a really, really bad couple of weeks and months for the New York Times. And here's, well, here's another big story. I only lightly go over this because I don't want to essentially rehash what I already did in the last story, but I do have to mention this for context from the Daily Beast, also from uh, Maxwell Tanny as, as well as others. NYT top editor, Trump racism headline was an effing mess. In a lengthy town hall meeting on Monday, the paper's top brass addressed a bevy of recent controversies centering on the uh, Times coverage of Trump race and politics. It's been bad. It's been really, really bad. The Times had a leaked transcript showing that they were just trying to slam Trump. They get called out for their bias. And what do they do? They act like it's a conspiracy. Listen, if you are upset that you're being targeted because you do legitimate journalism, I'm listening. I really am. You know, if you go out on the ground and you do a report and then you get smeared by the far left like they do with Andy No, it's a complicated situation. Well, that's, 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 that's absurd. If you're not familiar with the Andy No situation, he's accused of, you know, plotting with the Patriot Prayer stuff. And while I think there's a, a little bit, you know, I, I watched the story and I see what Antifa on the far left is trying to do. They're desperately trying to smear Andy No because they made a mistake by beating him up. So they're, they're, they're desperate. If you're doing legitimate journalism, okay, moving away from the Andy No stuff, if you're doing legitimate journalism for an outlet, let's say you work for the Times and you're minding your own business and then people start targeting you because you're unveiling dark truths, that's unfortunate, you know, but it's part of the game. If you're going to be taken down because of what you've done, it's why cancel culture and woke outrage is bad, because we shouldn't do that. However, the New York Times in leaked transcripts shows they're heavily biased and they just want to make Trump look bad. We're going to cover Russia, 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 and then nothing happens. It was a conspiracy theory. How dare the New York Times entertain fringe nonsense and win awards for it? It was nonsense. And we all knew it. I shouldn't say we all knew it, but a lot of us doubted the Russiagate nonsense and the times went full steam ahead. And now what are they doing? Once again, the narrative, the narrative is smear Trump. Well, listen, it's one thing if you're a balanced paper trying to tell a story fairly. It's another thing if you run an op-ed saying, here's how you destroy a rival paper, which they did to Breitbart. Now you're in the, you're in the weeds, you're in the dirt. And yet they say, lie with dogs, wake up with fleas. So no, you can't get angry now that people are going to use the same tactics against you because you decided to play dirty. So naturally, we can see that Ben Shapiro has joined the fray because, well, Ben Shapiro does things similar to me. Reeks of hypocrisy. Shapiro blasts New York Times complaint about digging up journalists' tweets. I highlight this not to get into the, the, you know, in depth about what Ben Shapiro said because, well, you get it. Ben Shapiro calls them hypocrites. 
But I highlight this specifically to show it is about time the New York Times got some, I I don't know, uh, there was a reckoning that they were told you are not the the, the privileged elites anymore. We are in a world now of uh, populism, I would say. As I mentioned earlier, maybe they didn't get the memo. The internet is a great, uh, it's, it's an opportunity for the little guy to, to fight back, to stand up and say, I will not be lied about. What the press does in general, for the, usually I find rather despicable. A lot of journalists, not all of them, because what they'll do is they'll take something you've said and snip the context to make it se- seem like you've said something you didn't say. Case in point, NBC News recently highlighted an email from Donald Trump's campaign saying, This country is for all Americans of every zip code, not coastal elites and liberal mega donors. It is our country, not theirs. A direct reference to the wealthy, a direct play to populism. It is for the people, by the people, not the wealthy elites. Sounded kind of like Bernie Sanders. What did NBC News do? They framed it by saying Trump says to Ocasio-Cortez, it's our country, not theirs, and then made the allusion to bigotry. They made it seem like Trump was targeting them over race, when in reality it was about class. So yeah, I think you're going to find the left and the right are tired of the media's games about how they misrepresent what's happening to make us fight with one another. Now, certainly, I have my differences with the Chapo Trap House people. They won't stop spam messaging me. I, like, I got to admit, I don't check my Twitter notifications. I don't check, I check barely any notifications. I barely check emails, to be honest. But for whatever our differences are, I can absolutely respect a lot of their positions. I agree with a lot of the positions of Chapo Trap House. They detest the wokeness of the left, and so do I, because I think they're, you know, bigots in the woke left. But uh, Chapo is a bit, I don't know, too aggressive for my tastes. Tim Pool is just a, a lukewarm, milk toast reformist. I think we can vote our way into change. I really do. And I think it's a gradual process that we've proven throughout the years. Admittedly, there are tumultuous times in our history, especially in the past few decades, and those, they happen. These things happen. But I do believe we don't need to tear everything down. So maybe that's why we're at odds with each other. But where we all link arms from Ben Shapiro to Amber A. Lee Frost is that, you know what? We're sick of the New York Times. Let me read just a little bit. Amber writes, every morning that I'm not hungover, I wake up around 8 a.m. because that is when my two cats start howling for breakfast. I feed them, make coffee, and walk barefoot and unwashed mug in hand through my apartment building's uh, common hallway to the front door where I pick up my New York Times and my Financial Times. I then walk back to my apartment, look at the front page of the New York Times for approximately five to eight seconds, and I throw the whole thing in the garbage with contempt. I drink my coffee and proceed to read the entirety of the Financial Times, excluding the particularly dense bits on the companies and markets section. If it's the weekend edition, I even read most of House and Home. We get it. Amber goes on to say that she's a big S socialist, and I think it's actually kind of funny. I do not like socialism. I don't. Um, I think a mixed economy makes the most sense. Like, look, hey, milk toast fence it, or we expect. But I do really appreciate that in all of the, the, the disagreements we may have, you have woke left. Check this out. Splinter is the woke left slamming the New York Times. Fox News, Ben Shapiro of the Daily Wire, slamming the New York Times, and the dirtbag socialists of Chapo Trap House, slamming the New York Times. Congratulations, New York Times. You know what? Throughout my life, I can tell you why I've always had disdain for the Democrats. It's true. I've mentioned this before. It's because they're elitists. And I grew up in a working class area with a working class family. We were facing trying times, lost our home. It was a struggle. 
And that was the Democrats. These are the people I grew up with. But when I looked to the leadership, what I saw was the millionaire elites claiming to defend us, and they didn't. It was all about big crony capitalism. And you could point to the Republicans and say similar things, and that's true. The Republicans today are very different. You know, some people have said it's not even the Republican Party anymore. And that's why there are many outraged Republicans who switched for Hillary, because the establishment was something they, they cherished. Well, now it's the era of populism, and you have Trump, and things are very different. And certainly there are many issues I take with Republicans. But look at the Democrats. I mean, they're floundering. They're, they're struggling. The old era of the establishment elites is coming to an end. And everyone is upset with the Times. Look, I think the Times does good journalism. I'm not trying to be, you know, overly bad. They have Barry Weiss. I think Barry Weiss is uh, is imperfect, but she does a good job. And I think she tries to, she, she does, you know, she's been criticized for many things in the past, fair criticisms, but she also has been much more fair to the alternative, you know, commentary and independent media community. So I think the Times does have good people. But I will stress, the era of the elite gray lady paper of record is, is coming to an end for, for better or for worse. You will now see the likes of Breitbart starting as a, as a, as a, as a weblog, being able to knock the times down a peg or two and send them into chaos. So you know what? I don't, I, I think I should uh, wrap this one up because you get the point. Everyone, everyone, the working people on the ground, they're pointing the finger at those wealthy elites and saying, it's enough. Your time is done. And you can criticize Trump for being one of those wealthy elites too. I'm not going to exclude him from criticism. I'm just pointing out the, it's the era of populism. And an elitist New York Times that literally has a skyscraper in New York City is no longer a protected class. They never should have been. And they still act like they are. But sorry, the backfire continues. And it's only going to get worse from here. So you know what? I never, I would never work for the Times. I wouldn't do it. I don't, I don't know what the future holds, but it seems like it seems like things are changing a lot and they're changing fast. I wonder what 2020 has in store. Thanks for hanging out. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up. YouTube.com slash TimCastNews at 6 p.m. And I will see you all there. I fear there's something truly wrong with many people in this country. Right now, there's a potential for a Category 4, maybe a Category 5 hurricane slamming into Florida. It may be the worst hurricane to hit Florida since 1992. This is not a joke. It's no laughing matter. And we are praying, I mean, if it's the best way I can think of, we are, we are keeping people uh, hopeful. We're, we're being hopeful that people will remain safe, that people can take, you know, protect their families, and that we can minimize damage and loss of life. This is not a time for people to be playing politics. But I believe there's something truly wrong with a lot of people, and it's kind of disconcerting. Trump critics publicly shamed after cheering for Hurricane Dorian to wipe out Mar-a-Lago. It's funny to everybody. Ha 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 ha. A hurricane's coming. Trump has property there. That's so insane. Of course Trump has property there. Trump has property in many cities around the world. But it's a joke. Now, look, I get it. A lot of these people aren't literally saying, you know, they're, they're just making a joke about the hurricane destroying Mar-a-Lago. But I've seen the comments and it's a bit callous. You know, there was, there was somebody who tweeted uh, something to the effect of, you know, thanks for wishing the hurricane to slam into Mar-a-Lago because we live here too. And there are going to be a lot of people who are poor and working class who will be substantially impacted by this. But that's the joke. They don't care. They never do. These people are elitists. That's the point. They don't care about you. This to me is, it's sad and it's sickening. You know, if Trump, if Mar-a-Lago gets hurt by the, the, uh, the hurricane, well, he's got insurance. He's wealthy. He's the president. He'll be fine. And he has property all over. 
But there are people who don't even own the, own the homes they live in. They're just renting. There are some people who made their first investment and now they're facing, they're staring down the barrel of a gun with everyone laughing at them, laughing at them just because they want to see Trump hurt. And that's what, what, what I feel like this is all about. You know, people have made the analogy to Trump being a pilot and, them, and people wishing for the plane to crash. It's like, no, man. Your pilot can be a bad dude. Like, he can be a mean, crass guy whose flying is erratic. But just let him land the plane, please. We want to make it through this one. But no, some people would much prefer to laugh and smile about a hurricane coming to destroy the lives of innocent people. That, that, that's what really worries me about where we're headed in the culture war. Are we getting to the point now where people are thinking damage to Trump? It's, you know, it's, it's worth hurting all these little people. I'm, I'm not saying they're literally commanding the hurricane. I'm saying that they just don't care about the little people as long as the one person they don't like gets hurt. Well, let's read this story. Before we do, however, make sure you head over to TimCast.com slash donate. Okay, never mind. It's not working. But hey, if you go to TimCast.com slash donate, you will probably see a better version of whatever website it is than this because my browser crashed or whatever. But there's a, pay- a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address. But of course, oh, there you go. Something went wrong. Uh, but of course, you can just share this video if you want to support my work. Sharing really, really helps. Let's read. From, from Pluralist. As Hurricane Dorian hurtles towards the coast of Florida, a number of Twitter users expressed hope that the storm would slam into President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort in Palm Beach. They say, the hurricane is expected to make landfall as soon as Monday as a Category 4 storm, and Mar-a-Lago, aka the Southern White House, or the Winter White House, is in its projected path. All of Florida is under a state of emergency, and authorities are urging residents to stockpile a week's worth of food and supplies. Another bit of advice, too, for everybody who's down there, and you probably know this better than I do, plug your drain, fill it with water. You know, a lot of people don't understand that in a storm like this, you could have uh, water lines disrupted. So a tub, you fill that with fresh water, you can use that, you can scoop it, you can, you know, make sure you keep it clean and all that stuff. It's going to impact the entirety of Florida and residents need to be, need to be prepared, acting FEMA Administrator Pete Gaynor said Friday morning on CNN's New Day. So take the time now to understand what your local risk is. Despite the statewide stakes, Kim Campbell, a former Canadian prime minister, jovially tweeted Wednesday, I'm rooting for a direct hit on Mar-a-Lago. Now, I believe she apologized. She did say uh, in a series of follow-up tweets, Campbell said she was sorry if the rest of Paul Springs gets a big hit, but suggested Trump needed the assault to shake up his climate change denial. Well, there it is. They're saying to you poor people, I'm so sorry your life will be destroyed, but I just want to see Trump hurt. That's what they're saying. It's truly deranged. Only today, his admin has removed regulations to limit methane, a worse greenhouse gas than CO2, she complained, referring to the Trump administration's plan to cut back on methane emissions. And Trump won't care. This is, it's just such a vindictive emotional absurdity. Do you really think that a hurricane hitting Mar-a-Lago is going to make Trump go, whoa, I should put restrictions back on greenhouse gas? No, he's going to be like, hurricanes happen. It's hurricane season. Call the insurance company, get it paid for. Meanwhile, all of the little people where she's saying, I'm sorry if you get hit, but Trump needs this. No, he doesn't. Trump has property everywhere. He has insurance and he'll be fine. This is, this is, uh, now, listen, think about how they view the hurricane and apply that to every other aspect of politics in this country. I know this person's Canadian. The point I'm making is that they are willing to destroy and to cause suffering if it gets them a victory. I'm, you know, look, and this is not, I'm not directing this politically. I'm just saying there are people. And right now, these people hate Trump so much. That's what they're rooting for. 
Journalist David Levitt on Thursday framed the threat to Mar-a-Lago as Earth's response to Trump's skepticism about climate change. Hurricanes happen. Hur- hurricanes happen. It's hurricane season. They're trying to, to, to ascribe this to something that it, it happens every year. There's hurricanes all the time. We had how many hurricanes last year? David Levitt says Trump climate change is a hoax. Earth, here's a category four hurricane with 130 mile, mile per hour winds aimed right at Mar-a-Lago with my compliments. Ha ha ha. It's so funny, isn't it? Grant Stern, a liberal pundit who writes for the Occupy Democrats Facebook page, you mean the fake news conspiracy whack jobs, on Thursday shared a forecast on a full frontal blow on Trump's Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, Trump's got a house there. I get it. It's a resort. It's big. There's also Trump Doral in Miami. You're forgetting about that. Trump's got a golf club. A golf, a golf club. It's a, a, a resort. They only seem to care about Mar-a-Lago, though, because Trump sleeps there. They say he then retweeted a retweet of his post and said, if Mar-a-Lago is wiped out without any loss of life, I will upgrade my faithfulness from agnostic to true believer. Well, at least he, I can say he was conscious about not calling for loss of life. But it, you know what, man? I just feel like they don't really care. They don't really care, you know? You're these, well, that's it, isn't it? Virtue signaling. They go on Twitter and act like they care about social justice, and they don't. And so when a hurricane is coming to Florida and poor people, working class people are staring down the barrel of that gun, they laugh, ha ha ha, while they're sipping their martinis and smoking their cigars. Ha ha ha, they say, sitting atop the ivory tower in New York City and in other cities where they're safe. And it's funny there's a photo of Sophia Vargara, I think her name is, boarding a private plane to escape the hurricane. And that's how everyone felt. She was being heavily criticized. Now, look, I get, if you have a private plane, look, take it, leave. I think it's silly to insult someone just because they have a private plane. But that's kind of the image. You know, someone can be like, I'll just take my private plane to fly away while everyone else is stuck wallowing in the gutter. Now, look, in terms of the private plane, just because she has it doesn't mean it's her fault the hurricane is happening. But it does still show that there's this great disparity. There's, there's no stress. Wealth really does provide privileges. And especially for these wealthy urban elites who live in these big cities away from hurricanes, they can sit here and make jokes all day. Meanwhile, I assure you, there's a grandmother holding her, her granddaughter, you know, her baby do- granddaughter tight, crying, praying to God that they make it through this one while they sit, sit on Twitter laughing about how Trump's going to get hurt and Trump is not even there. Feminist author and activist Amy Siskin said Wednesday that Trump had only canceled a planned trip to Poland because he has properties in Florida. Oh, please. Yeah, it's because Trump's going to have a FEMA response, man. They just, they just, they hate him so much. They hate him so much. Wayne Dupree, re, uh, Wayne Dupree Friday read, read, wrote, what is that? Re, re? I don't know what that is. Friday in response to Campbell's tweets, you have to be a special brand of evil to wish a hurricane direct hit on a place that houses human souls. Spot on spot on. We have this person, uh, Carmine Sabia, saying, it is astounding how evil these people are. They're cheering for Hurricane Doria hitting, uh, Dorian hitting Mar-a-Lago. You get that the president is a billionaire, correct? He could rebuild, but the people who live in that area are going to be hit. And it's a funny, funny joke. Alan Covert said, my family lives about 10 miles from Mar-a-Lago. So all of you people cheering the fact that Dorian might wipe it out can kindly go F yourselves. You have sunk so low in your hatred that you've become worse than what you hate. Standing ovation. I'm not going to actually stand up. Sorry, but but spot on. Alan, I, I'm not familiar with who you are, but I think this is the actor guy. I don't know. I heard that this guy. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, the actor. Is, is this the guy from Grandma's House? Oh, this dude's amazing. I love this guy. He's in a bunch of the, uh, um, what you call it? Um, Adam Sandler movies. Wow. Yep. 
Spot on, man. Spot on, man. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that sickening? This dude's not a, a Hollywood A-lister. I'm not trying to be a dick. I think he's actually pretty awesome. But here they are laughing and cheering on, and, and, and here's someone who actually is impacted by this, saying, this is my family, man. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know where we're headed. I believe there could be some kind of civil conflict. I'm not saying it's going to be like massive armies. You know, that's what people seem to think. No, but it's like, in, you know, people are fighting in the streets and stuff. And this is the kind of thing that makes me worried because in order for something like that to happen, you have to have this dehumanization of the other. You have to have a complete callous response to a major disaster. When all I can say is, I hope everyone is safe. I hope you have supplies. I hope you take the necessary precautions. Take this seriously. You know, Florida, they get hurricanes, man. You know, so I, I, I assume a lot of people down there, they understand the risks. They have the experience. But there are a lot of people who don't get it. A lot of people who live in like New York or Los Angeles who are laughing because it's a joke. It's not a joke. These people could be seriously hurt. And they probably will be. And I hope everybody who, who joked about, about it laughing and cheering and clapping, I hope when the dust settles, when the, when the storm clears, you take a good hard look at yourself in the mirror as you hear these reports of the loss of life and destroyed homes and people's livelihoods and their hopes and their dreams being wiped out. I hope you take a look at that and take a look in the mirror. And I hope something can bring people back from the brink of, of, of this psychotic mentality where they're laughing about innocent people getting destroyed just because it might slightly hurt the president. You've lost it, man. You've got to stop. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know what will fix it, but I'll end by just, you know, look, if you're, if you're in Florida, I, I don't know if prayers is the right word, but I'm keeping you in my thoughts, and, and we're all hoping that uh, everybody down there will, will be prepared, will make it through. You guys will, you know, everyone will be okay. I've been in some big storms in Florida, never a hurricane. And this one's going to be a category four, which is going to be extremely destructive. So, you know, if they call for an evacuation, take it seriously. A lot of people don't. But hey, I'll say this. You live in Florida, you probably know better than I do. Okay, so I'm just I'm just hoping everybody can remain safe. The goal for all humans should be to build a better future, to wish for the safety and protection of our brothers and sisters, our mothers, fathers, cousins, sons and daughters, to, to, to build a future that keeps us all safe, happy and progresses. We cannot live in a world where people are gloating and laughing and smiling about the fact that the president, who's not going to be there, might suffer some property loss. That's, that's, that's terrifying. I got a couple more segments coming up for you in, uh, later today. Admittedly, today is the big event, so I'm rushing through these. I'm trying to get them done early. So it's, uh, you know what, I'll, I'm doing my best, but it might be a little lighter than it normally is. So next segment will be at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. A cologne company. Savage with Johnny Depp tried to, I, I guess it was a get woke, go broke thing. I, I kind of don't know. Actually, the response may be get woke, go broke. So for those that aren't familiar, Johnny Depp, well, first, Johnny Depp played a Native American in uh, The Lone Ranger or whatever, and everybody got really mad because Johnny Depp, I guess, is white. I, I think he's part Native American, though. Uh, whatever. I have no idea. All I know is he did his commercial Everybody got all angry because in the commercial there's a dude, in, like a Native American guy doing a Native American dance. So they pull the commercial, and I got to say it's the most insane thing ever. You know why? They actually have what, what appears to be a Native American man doing a Native American dance. People were angry. They pulled the ad down. Now people will not see the Native American dance. This was a, a, essentially going to put a Native American, a bit of Native American culture in the face of Americans, which is a good thing. Instead, they take it down. So I'll tell you this. This may be a get woke, go broke in a way we're not used to in that 
the woke crowd demanded the ad removed, and now they've lost the money from the ad and they've retracted it. So there's another thing I want to point out, right? The bigger arc here is that in many instances, you have an opportunity for cultural um, enrichment to show people a piece of culture that's outside of the American norm. And because of the woke crowd, it gets taken down. Case in point, remember when Scarlett Johansson was supposed to play a transgender man and everybody got so angry as last year that she canceled it? That was a lot of people were upset because this would have been a movie with a lead character, the main character being trans, which would have sent like would have helped to normalize the trans community to the American public. There's a, there's a lot to go through here. I, I want to save it because I want to I want to uh, tell you the news first. So let's dive into the story. Before we do, head over to Tim. <laughs> it's still not okay. You know what? Don't go to TimCast. Go, go to, go to Tim, YouTube.com slash TimCastIRL. I have no idea why my donut page isn't, isn't working. But hey, I got a new YouTube channel. And I might have a special video for you guys tomorrow from behind the scenes of the event we're doing today. So YouTube.com slash TimCastIRL and subscribe because I'll have uh, uh, videos behind the scenes and on the ground. But anyway, let's read about Johnny Depp and why everyone's angry about cultural appropriation. They say, Dior has deleted ads from its social media accounts promoting its Sauvage fragrance fragrance after it faced a backlash because of its use of Native American culture. A video on Twitter featuring a Native American dancer and an Instagram post explaining the campaign that was crafted with, with Native American consultants was deleted hours after the fashion house was called out for cultural misappropriation and being insensitive. But they, they brought on Native Americans to help do the ad. What, what, what absurd reality are we living in? As part of the Savage campaign, Johnny Depp stars in a film called We Are the Land that is described in marketing materials as an ode to Mother Earth. In the ad, the narrator says, We Are the Land, as a Native American man performs a traditional dance before the screen goes to black. It also features Johnny Depp wearing a multicolored poncho while playing guitar and a dark-haired model with long hair in Native American dress. So, the, so let me get this straight. The company goes to the Native American, Native American community and says, We want to really showcase you know, your culture and, and talk about Mother Earth. And they're all like, yeah, great, let's do this. So then they actually show the native dance and woke outrage triggers its removal. Okay, let's think about this for a second. Today, I, uh, I will be speaking at an event in Philadelphia called Ending Racism, Violence and Authoritarianism with an overarching theme of, you know, these, these things in the culture where we don't like racism being one of them. Who is protesting us? To, for the most part, not, not, not all, but many white privileged you know, suburbanites. It's these, pe- these, these young kids who tend to be white, the white savior types who think they're going to come to our event and shut it down. So I ask you this question. These woke activists demanding that an actual a Native American dance be removed. Why would we assume they're progressive? Wouldn't progressives advocate for more diversity in commercials? Wouldn't a progressive say, it's really great you made a commercial with a Native American man showing Native Ameri- a Native American dance and, and making an ode to Mother Earth? Isn't it a good thing that you got Hollywood A-lister Johnny Depp in a commercial, which is going to attract widespread attention, showing a Native American man? Now, okay, you know what, man? They've gone full circle. These people have gone so far left, they wrapped around, and now they're back where the actual Nazis are, getting rid of actual cultural diversity. And this is one of the biggest problems I have with the whole thing. I like the idea of diversity, actually showing other cultures and ideas and perspectives, languages, and it's getting taken down because the woke left doesn't like it. How does that make sense? You know, they all, the, I'll say this. 
people got really mad because Johnny Depp played Tonto in The Lone Ranger or something. But they say Depp was adopted as an honorary citizen of the Comanche Nation in a private ceremony by the group's founder. Uh, okay, so I, I don't, I don't look, man, the rules make no sense. But let's do this. Take a look at this story about Scarlett Johansson. And I want to make a bigger point about, um, I, I really don't believe that the goals of the woke left is to bring about true diversity. I think it's just winning. You know, I, I've said it before. I, I think most of you might agree. They just want victory over and over again. So what happens then when you give in to their demands? They still demand a victory, in which case that's how they go full circle. So, you know, going back to the point I was making about my event, we played by every rule they asked for. We have more female speak. We had more female speakers than male. We have uh, proportional people of color relative to the American population. Um, it's it, it's it's not not perfect. Look, we, we we tried our best. Okay, I'm not I'm not one of the official organizers, but everything was done to be like, okay, we want to do an event talking about ending racism, violence, and authoritarianism. Bring on some people from the left and the right. Have them sit down and talk about the culture war because this is how we move forward. Well, they're protesting it. They're protesting it and trying to get it shut down using every lie you can think of. They just want to win. And I think this is how the mask slips. I really don't think they're, you know, that they're um, white, white supremacists or anything like that trying to shut us down. I really don't think the people who, tr- who are trying to get this, who, you know, get this commercial removed are white supremacists. I will say there are going to be you know, alt-right types who are going to be joining in that campaign. So maybe after a while, you should take a, you should take a look around and see who you're standing next to. But what happens is they don't care that this man is Native American. They don't care if it's offensive to Native Americans, because in fact, Native Americans were consulted for this. They don't care if it's going to actually promote the trans community. They just want to win. So even when you play the game they ask, they still come after you. Case in point, my event. So that, that says to me that, you know, I don't know what the end result is. I don't know what the goal is going to be. If they're just going to protest no matter what. I remember I went to an event that YouTube hosted years ago, and they were trying to figure out how to normalize, you know, other cultures and diversity and stuff like that. And I said, the easiest way to normalize it is to not act like it's not normal. A lot of people were saying things like, what you need to do is make a video explaining why it's normal. And I said, if you need to explain why something's normal, you're telling people it's not. I'll tell you what works. Make a show that just so happens to have a character of an identity or something, and don't make an issue of it. You know, if like you're going to do a show and you want to normalize the trans community, have a transgender character just to be a regular person because they are. If you make the show about the identity, then, then you're basically telling people it's not normal and that's why there's a show about it. If you make a show about a guy who works at a law firm whose dad is a clown who always interrupts his work and it's silly and wacky and it just so happens that his, uh, uh, he, has, he has a sibling who is a trans woman and the trans woman's identity isn't defined by being trans. They just, you know, are in on the joke and they're another character. That's normalization. That's what you expect. So when you have the Native American community say, you know, we're going to work with you on this ad and they showcase it and they show the dance, that is normalization. They are not telling you, hey, this is a thing that's so different. They're just showing it in a commercial and they're saying it's about Mother Earth. This will, you know, there will be kids who will watch this and they'll recognize it and they'll grow up seeing this image and understanding a little bit. Instead, the woke left just wants that, that victory to feel good, to feel satisfied. And as long as people won't stand up to them, there will not be real justice. This is why I'm so bothered by it, okay? I'm for social justice. Believe it or not. Oh, I've said it a million times. 
Okay. You know, from my family history, my experiences and, you know, where I come from in this country in a, in a very urban, you know, Democrat area that I believe social justice is, is something we should strive for. But as many people pointed out, it's just justice. It's trying to make sure that people have equal opportunity. And admittedly, there are imbalances historically. It's a fact. There are people who have, you know, from, for historical reasons, been, been disadvantaged for generations. I believe there are ways to, to fix this. I don't believe the way to do it is to point to someone and say, hey, look at the color of their skin. That makes no sense. What doesn't make sense is class. If, if somebody is poor because they've been disadvantaged historically, well, then let's figure out how we can lift them up and give them an opportunity. There is a point to be made that you can't have equal opportunity if some people have access to the best resources in the world and others don't. The issue then becomes something about class. Tucker Carlson talks about this. They want us separated by race because race doesn't actually define advantage or not. It protects the wealthy. That's why he said it's always the rich people who are trying to make you focused on race. Why? Because then the poor, you know, Asians and the poor Latinos and the poor black people will look at the poor white people and everybody fights. Meanwhile, the rich people of all races laugh and smoke their cigars and sip their martinis. So I'll wrap it up here. But kind of the point I want to make is, I, I hope, I'm assuming it was clear. This, in my opinion, was fine. I mean, look, I'm not a Native American, but if they were consulting on this production, I have to imagine there were people who were okay with it. I'd also have to imagine that there are some Native Americans who are not okay with it, saying, hey, don't use our culture for your commercials. But if you have this resentment where you're like, I don't want to be a part of your culture, well, then you won't be. Congratulations. But if you want people to see your culture and you want to preserve your culture, then you should do everything in your power to make sure it becomes something cool associated with Johnny Depp of all people. But you know what? I think these people just want to win. That's all they care about. So there it is. Anyway, I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment will be at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out. It is a different channel and I will see you all there. Donald Trump is a troll. In fact, he may be one of the greatest trolls of all time. In fact, I think he may go down in history as like the greatest troll of all time. Not necessarily because his trolling is better than anyone else's, but because he is both simultaneously an online troll and the president of the United States. Now, I must admit, I have a sense of humor, which means even though I can disagree with a lot of Trump's behavior, I still find some things funny. And I will admit as well, when he won, I laughed. I laughed because it was comeuppance to the Democrats who rigged the primary. At least I'll just say that's my opinion. We have a few stories I want to go over because in the past couple days, Trump has had some of the most masterful trolls we've seen. Now, I will bring up a slightly older one, but I just want to show some of the greatest trolls. It's just three. And we'll talk about our troll in chief. Here's the funny thing. And I, I, I want to stress this because I know a lot of people who watch may be you know, center-right or conservative, so you probably get it, but there's a lot of people who probably don't understand this but for the moderates and the people on the left. When you make a joke about Donald Trump, right, they post these photos of Trump looking silly. Trump supporters like that. You need only go to the Donald subreddit to see whenever they try making fun of Trump, the Trump supporters upvote it because it's funny. And that's the thing. There seems to be a fracture in a sense of humor. So the left thinks it's hilarious to show Trump with his hair all messy. And then Trump supporters say it's actually just a rare photo of Trump going super sane, a reference to anime. It's a joke. They don't care. So let's start with some of these trolls. First, take a look at this one. <coughs> Excuse me. Er- error page on Trump's website shows Hillary Clinton as president. <laughs> I was inspired to do this because the other day I saw this story and... I can't believe 
It's been this many years and Trump is still dragging Hillary Clinton. He is. Take a look at this. Oops, this is awkward. You're looking for something that doesn't exist. And there's a picture of Hillary Clinton at a podium that says president of the United States. I kid you not. Trump is having a laugh. It's all fun. Now, look, you will see people on the left say Trump is belittling the office and he's not taking it seriously enough. And that may be true, but I'll tell you this. If you were looking at two groups of people and one group is just harumphing and stomping on the ground, and then you look over the other side and see a bunch of people, you know, smoking cigars, laughing and high-fiving each other, which one would you want to hang out with? The negative, angry people or the one who seem to be laughing and having a party? And that's the thing about trolling. Trump is making things fun and funny. The Daily Caller writes, President Donald Trump's campaign is trolling vanquished Democratic nominee Hillary Clinton with an error page that shows Clinton holding a microphone behind the presidential seal. The website's error page gloats over the results of the 2016 election. Oops, this is awkward. You're looking for something that doesn't exist. I just got to show you again. It's a picture of Hillary Clinton and it says president of the United States behind it. That's just like, oh, dude, it reminds me of that meme from The Simpsons where they're like, stop, stop. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to make uh, violence references towards politicians, but you get the meme, okay? Trump, you don't need to drag Hillary Clinton anymore. It's over. She's not running. You've won. I get it. It is funny, but come on, come on, right? Well, Trump isn't through yet, okay? We know that Trump is, is a troll, is the troll in chief, but then he started trolling, uh, it was a couple days ago, Kirsten Gillibrand. She was the one I was really afraid of. I'll admit, when I saw this tweet, I once again started laughing. I was at the White House Social Media Summit, and I, and I, would, I would say, you know, Trump and you know, the White House invited all these people. It was a VIP Trump rally. I thought it was going to be a more serious conversation about social media and censorship, but it, it felt like Trump rallying his most ardent supporters, which was awkward for me. And I wasn't the only one there who isn't a big fan of the guy. But like, look, you guys know, I'm not crazy. It was funny, though. Trump is really funny. He was very self-deprecating. I don't think people on the left understand humor. They're mad at Dave Chappelle. A lot of people seem to like it. Donald Trump goes up on the podium and he starts pointing out the the smears and insults towards him in a way that made it really, really funny. And people were laughing. And I said, I got it. You know, self-deprecating humor is a really powerful tool for a few reasons. Trump knows he's on top. So he takes himself down a peg or two to make people laugh and, and show surprisingly a kind of humility. I don't think Trump is, has very much of that. So it's interesting when he makes jokes in this way. When Kirsten Gillibrand recently dropped out, they say, Trump, Trump tweeted, a sad day for the Democrats. Kirsten Gillibrand has dropped out of the presidential primary. I'm glad they never found out that she was the one I was really afraid of. <laughs> it's funny. What, how, you know, we get the politicians we deserve and Trump is a showman. And, and I think he understands the power of humor. He understands the power of having a good time. People want to associate with fun. They want to feel like they belong. And when you share memes and when you play, you know, make jokes online, you can easily be part of the fun. The other side, though, the woke outrage is, is painful. You don't know what you can or can't say. You're, you're forced to stay quiet. You're scared of saying the wrong thing. And when you do, they, they, they beat you over the head with it forever. On the Trump side, you can be offensive and people will, be, will either laugh at the joke or if it's a bad joke, they'll say, hey, try again next time. If you make a bad joke, it doesn't go anywhere. It won't get upvoted. It won't get shared. 
and no one will make you feel bad about it. I mean, some people might. You make a good joke and everyone loves you and they're your friend. This is the phenomenon that is that, that I, I think is often overlooked in the political sphere right now. We've talked about how the left can't mean, you know, many people have said that and they can. There's a few pretty good left wing memes. I got to admit, you know, there's like toilet paper USA. I find that stuff hilarious. And there's, there, there's something about it. The left needs to understand when Trump does this and you see these hoity-toity, you know, journalists and leftists going like, oh, harumph, I say, Donald Trump, how dare you? They don't realize that they're telling the American people, you are not one of us and you never will be. I go back to when uh, they did that story where Donald Trump had this really expensive steak cooked well done with ketchup and they made fun of him for it. Do they not realize that the average American can't afford a fancy steak? So you buy that cheap dollar steak from Walmart or wherever, and you grill it all the way through because it's a crappy piece of meat, and then you slop ketchup all over it because it doesn't taste that good. So the, a regular American who is not a fancy, you know, eating that medium rare with a little bit of garlic on top, thick cut filet mignon, they're sitting there saying, that's the president for me because he makes jokes. He's funny. It's a good time. He's talking about what I care about, and he eats the same food I do. More importantly, I bet you a lot of people didn't care about the steak, but they looked at the media and the media says, Trump eating a well-done steak with ketchup? What a moron. And what do Americans think? Hey, hey, what? That's how I like my steak. Why are you making fun of me? And that's what they don't get. Trump's having a laugh. He's having a good time and he's inviting you to the party. So I think, you know, in that, I do believe there's legitimate criticisms in that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, he's downplayed very important things. He's made light of very important things. But what I'm highlighting here is more silly than, than not, you know, more silly than serious, right? I do not like the fact that Trump went up at a rally and then mimicked body slamming a journalist. That was an unprovoked attack on a reporter who was doing his job. Look, you don't got to like the guy, but physical violence shouldn't be, you shouldn't be the one to be the aggressor. And we can say that for Antifa, we can say for Proud Boys, everybody. Self-defense, okay. Trump comes out and he makes fun of it. Everyone laughs. That's something I don't like. But I'll admit, people just like having a good time. And while I can still criticize him for, you know, the, the boorish and negative things he does, I, it's important to highlight how he's making fun. I don't mean he's like trying to deride people. He's just making it fun. Case in point, Trump trolls with meme of Trump Tower in Greenland. The president of the United States tweeted this. I promise not to do this to Greenland. And it is a golden Trump Tower on the coast of Greenland. It's funny. Why is the president posting these silly memes? I don't know, but I'll tell you what. It makes regular people feel like they can be a part of the crowd, like they can join in. Wouldn't it be funny if like Trump really is this evil fascist dictator and in a hundred years from now, they're like looking back at how, you know, Trump rallied the, the, the support of the people by using memes. I just don't see that being the case, right? I think Trump is going to win again. I think come 2024, we might see a Republican victory. It's it, look, it's it's still five years. You know, we'll see what happens. The, the Democrats might see it, might see a major shift and change. Maybe we'll be in full blown civil war. But I think on this track, with whatever Donald Trump has done to the Republicans, he's made it enjoyable. And he and and, and I'll admit too, for all the negative things he does, these jokes can mask the bad because a lot of people will be will be too busy laughing and making memes and having a good time than to care about any of the really bad things that may be happening. You know, like weapons deals with Saudi Arabia, drone strikes in Yemen, potential war with Iran. These are really bad things. It tends to be foreign policy, but we also have an increasing national debt it's getting pretty worrisome. But so long as Trump makes the memes, he's got something you know, for people to laugh about. 
Now, you can call it a distraction or not, but in the end, people are, are shocked and outraged that Trump would do this. But it's really funny. And whatever you, know, what, whatever you want to say about the president, criticize him or not, you, you would be a fool to underestimate the power of humor in rallying people together. They all have smiles on their faces. People are sitting there laughing, saying, that's my president. That's what they're saying. And they're laughing about it. And they're proud of it. And you have people on the left saying, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, no. But you know what? The people laughing don't care if you're embarrassed. They're laughing. You think the dude, like the people at a party who are drinking and laughing and playing games are upset that someone else is embarrassed about their fun? They're not. They're drunk. Now, the, I, I'm not saying that Trump supporters are drunk. I'm just saying Trump's, Trump's humor is a powerful tool. Trolling Hillary Clinton is a really powerful tool. Because let me stress one more point. He's not just making a joke that makes you laugh. He's belittling and diminishing the Democrats and Hillary Clinton. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes. Stick around. I will see you all shortly. In 2015, a woman was killed when an illegal immigrant claims he saw a a t-shirt of some sort and there was a gun inside. And when he picked it up, it accidentally discharged, bounced off the ground and and killed the woman. He was acquitted. And and he, uh, I want to stress, this man was an illegal immigrant who was deported several times. Now they're overturning the gun gun charge conviction against him. So it may be that this guy just faces no consequences for killing this woman. The woman is Kate Stein. I could be pronouncing the name wrong, so I apologize. But this was a pivotal case going into 2016 with concern over illegal immigrants and crime. Now, I'm not going to sit here and entertain the debate about whether or not illegal immigrants commit more or less crime or whatever, because you can, you can have that argument. I want to highlight this, that in California, someone killed someone else and apparently is going to face no real repercussions. To me, that's rather shocking because at least there's manslaughter. There's got to be something, right? Not even a gun charge for picking up a gun. Well, the argument, I suppose, is that he didn't know. It was wrapped in a t-shirt. But that all sounds kind of conspiratorial, doesn't it? It sounds like a weird, I don't know, set of coincidences to bring us to this point where a guy who had been been deported five times, just got out of jail, finds a t-shirt, picks it up, and then a bullet fires, bounces off the ground and kills a woman. This is, what is his final destination? So I got to say, this, this whole thing is weird, but I will stress, I wasn't in the jury, so I don't really know. But let's read the story and see what happened. California appeals court overturns gun charge conviction against the illegal immigrant who was acquitted of murder after fatally shooting Kate Stein on a San Francisco pier. They say Jose Inez Garcia Zarate was acquitted of murder in the killing of Kate Stein, who was walking on a pier with her father when she was struck by a bullet in the back on July 2015. He was convicted of a single charge of being a felon in possession of a gun. The case against Garcia Zarate, who was in the country illegally, and had been deported five times, touched off a fierce immigration debate that was a fixture in Donald Trump's, uh, Donald Trump's stump speeches in, 20, in his 2016 presidential campaign. They say the first district court of appeal overturned the gun conviction because the judge failed to give the jury the option of acquitting Garcia Zarate on the theory he only possessed the weapon for a moment. So I kid you not, what they're saying is, in the, in the, uh, my understanding is in the original case, the judge could have said he only briefly had the gun that's an option. And because he didn't, now he's not convicted at all. It's entirely possible the jury would have just been like, I don't care how long he had the gun. He picked up a gun and shot somebody. Let's read on. Garcia Zarate said he unwittingly picked up the gun wrapped in a t-shirt and fired it accidentally. But like, how does that happen? Do you randomly just find a shirt bunched up on the ground in a strange shape, pick it up and then fire a gun? The bullet ricocheted off a concrete walkway and struck Stein, who was with her dad and a family friend. 
At the time, Garcia Zarate had recently been released from the county jail while facing deportation proceedings. He was released under San Francisco's so-called sanctuary city, city policy that barred local law enforcement officials from cooperating with most federal immigration investigations. She'd be alive. Call it an accident, right? Let's say it was an accident. She'd be alive if the law was followed. And that's the other story I have. And I don't know if I'll have time to get into everything, but Judicial Watch is seeking a permanent injunction against California, uh, California County's sanctuary policy. Conservatives are naturally outraged by this because, again, the left tries to make the claim often that gun control is needed because of accidental deaths. Okay, well, in this instance, we had an accidental death because a guy got out of jail, went and found a t-shirt under a bench with a gun in it and shot somebody. If you were to ask me, I don't think it was an accident that he went to find a gun. You know, we went to find a t-shirt and then it had a gun in it. That sounds really weird. But let's just, let's just entertain the idea of accidental deaths. Okay, great. Well, if they followed the law and ICE came and deported this guy who had been deported several times before, Kate would be alive. So look, I am not making an argument that illegal immigrants commit more or less crime. That's for a different subject. You can do a different video. You want to make that argument. The point is, this was an unnecessary death because California doesn't want to cooperate with federal authorities. They say, Tony Serra, the attorney who is representing Garcia Zarate on federal gun, char- on federal gun charges, uh, gun possession, and being in the country illegally, said his client is in custody and faces a January 13 trial. He said the state reversal means the district attorney will have the option of retrying Garcia Zarate on those charges. That kind of error causes reversals all the time. Then the prosecution has the prerogative of going again. The state case is a heavier case because it is a homicide and a gun. It's going to be a big potential decision on what they're going to do. The San Francisco district attorney's office did not immediately return uh, uh, respond to a request for comment from Daily Mail. Naturally, this story is triggering massive, massive outrage. Look, you know, I'm not the arbiter of morality. I can't tell you what is right or wrong. But I, I can say that I'm, I find it rather strange that someone can be a felon who's deported five times and they wouldn't tell ICE? They wouldn't do something about this? The argument from the left typically tends to be, but they're families, they're good people, they're not criminals. Okay, well, deport the criminals at least? How did we get to the point where not only have the Democrats been embracing giving health care to non-citizens, but they're refusing to cooperate with ICE when it comes to a felon. If you want to talk about somebody who, is, who, is, who came here illegally and they're working here illegally and they have no other crimes on their record, and they're nonviolent. Okay, I'm listening. I still disagree. But at least that makes sense. Hey, it's somebody who's just working. Okay, well, we got economic issues. We have border you know, security issues. But when you have somebody who is you know, getting out of jail, who has been deported five times and this is a circumstance where couldn't you just be like, okay, this is somebody that needs to be deported. That's the extremism of what we're seeing from the far left, from California. So we have this story I want to read a little bit from a couple days ago. They say, nonprofit government watchdog, Judicial Watch, stated it has filed a lawsuit in California Superior Court seeking a permanent injunction to bar Santa Clara County officials from enforcing a sanctuary policy that protects illegal aliens accused of heinous crimes. Why would you protect people accused of heinous crimes? That seems crazy to me. Doesn't that seem crazy to you? I don't even know what's going on anymore, man. Because uh, you know I say it all the time, but when I talk to like my friends and family as lifelong Democrats, we're just sit- we're sitting here scratching our heads. Who are you? Who are you catering to? Which vote are you trying to get? Don't tell me it's about doing the right thing here. Filed on August, filed August 28th on behalf of Santa Clara, Clara County taxpayer Howard Myers, the suit requests an injunction against Sheriff Lori Smith and Rick Sung acting chief of corrections. 
The injunction would prevent Smith and Song from ex, uh, from expending taxpayer funds and taxpayer finance resources on a recent on a recently enacted policy that requires federal immigration officials to obtain a judicial warrant before an alien in Santa Clara County's custody may be transferred to federal immigration officials' custody for removal from the United States. The suit was uh, was prompted by the refusal of county officials to cooperate with efforts by the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to take into custody Carlos Aravalo Carranza, 24, an illegal alien accused in the brutal February 28th murder of county resident Bambi Larson. I don't even know what I'm reading. How do you convince, uh, like, where are the Democrats who are saying it's good that murderers can walk free? How did we get to that point? I, I feel like the Democrats are just, are gone. I just feel like there is no Democratic Party anymore. There are certainly like moderate Democrats who are shocked by this, but there's no unity. I can't imagine any sane, rational person would be like, it's a good thing that somebody murdered somebody and they get to walk free. Granted, you know, accusations, innocent until proven guilty and all that. Larson, 59, died from multiple deep wounds consistent with a cutting tool, according to court documents. Several weeks after Larson's murder, Aravalo Carranza was arrested by local law enforcement and charged with her death. Mr. Aravalo Carranza reportedly had multiple prior convictions in Santa Clara County, including a conviction for burglary in 2015, convictions for battery of an officer resisting arrest and entering a property in 20. Okay, okay, you know what? I just don't even understand what's happening anymore. You just, there's no law enforcement. The left has increasingly put pressure on police saying they're bad people. There are some bad cops. I think it'd be absurd not to point out there's bad cops in some bad culture. But we need law enforcement. Now they're just not even bothering to enforce laws against illegal immigrants who are committing all of these crimes. Why should these people walk free? Look, if you're convicted, you go to jail. I think the prison system needs to be reformed dramatically. I think private prisons are bad. I, need, I think we need to focus on rehabilitation. But I also don't think it's fair to the taxpayers, to our community, to, for, one, uh, for, for one, to pay to allow these people to continue breaking, uh, make, uh, breaking the law, but more importantly, to allow them to be here straining resources regardless. Why are we paying for someone to walk around committing crimes against us? He also reportedly had multiple prior arrests in 2015 through 18 in both Santa Clara County and Los Angeles County, including arrests for possession of drug paraphernalia and methamphetamine, prowling, and false identification. I'm just so tired, man. Seriously, I, I don't even, I, I'm, 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 I'm over it. You know, we look at this story and we say, this woman didn't have to die. This man was arrested multiple times, but they didn't want to cooperate with the law. For why? For what reason? It's not an argument about families. Literally, they're criminals. And then we have this, another story where a woman was murdered. It's like, you have someone, you've arrested them, you know they're a criminal, and you let them go and someone dies. When that happens, they died because of you. If law enforcement can stop a criminal and they don't commit crimes after that, they've done their job. But when you don't follow, it's mind-blowing to me. Isn't it crazy? And the Democrats aren't even, even going to do anything about this? Bring me the argument. Seriously. There's literally no argument. I consider myself to be a rather fair person, and I try to hear you know, everyone's take on things. But tell me your argument for why known criminals drug and drug users should be allowed to walk free and then in two instances have killed somebody. Can ki- have killed somebody. Whatever, man. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes. Stick around. I will see you then. Florida woman throws Molotov cocktail into citizenship agency office in Florida. Yep. We're getting to that point. This may be, I think, the fifth ICE facility that's been attacked 
by overt act of terrorism. One thing I've talked about, we'll, we'll read this in a second, is that the left is ineffective. They're bad at what they do. The right, the crazy fringe right, when they go out and they commit these mass attacks, they tend to be good at it. But the left is really bad at it. What happened here was very fortunate. The woman threw a Molotov cocktail and it failed. And it could have been really, really bad if it didn't. Let's read the story and then we'll go over some of the context around ICE. From the AP, ABC7, uh, uh, AP News, I guess. A woman tossed a lit Molotov cocktail into the lobby of a U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service, Services office in Oakland Park, Florida. But no major injuries were reported, according to a report of the incident sent to administration officials and viewed by the Associated Press. The woman walked into the office Friday afternoon and hurled a bottle filled with gasoline and lit a fuse. But the fuse disconnected from the bottle and didn't ignite, according to the report. Law enforcement officials believe she intended to cause harm, but the incident wasn't related to other incidents where Homeland Security agencies were targeted. I don't think it matters if if it was related. It matters that people are attacking ICE facilities. The incident comes amid federal investigators growing concerns about attacks on immigration agencies during a time of heightened emotion and scrutiny. The issue remains a political powder keg for both Democrats and Republicans as Trump continues to push for major changes on his signature issue and tries to energize his base by delivering on campaign promises. Barack Obama, they called him deporter in chief. Trump is not unique. These facilities existed. Okay, you can criticize Trump. That's fine. But criticize Obama, too. But what's happening is the media is driving Trump derangement syndrome. And now we have a woman that could have killed many, many people. It's getting bad. You think this is going to be reported far and wide? You think it'll be headline news? It won't. You know why? Because she failed. And that's what's scary. This is now what? The fifth attack. It keeps happening. And I'll tell you what, it will get worse. Let's read more. A Homeland Security official condemned the attack and urged the public to express themselves peacefully and respectfully without trying to harm people. The official, who was not authorized to discuss an internal incident, spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity. The official said the attacks were unacceptable. Citizenship, oh, of course they're unacceptable. Citizenship and Immigration Services handles legal immigration, and the agency has been in the spotlight recently. It is run by acting director Ken Cuccinelli, a supporter of President Trump's hardline immigration policies, who has presided over major recent changes that have prompted criticism from immigrant, uh, immigrant advocates. One major change could deny green cards to many migrants who use Medicaid, food stamps, housing vouchers, or other forms of public assistance. Cuccinelli also defended changes to a longstanding agreement that governs how children cared, uh, cared for in government custody and how long they can be detained. It wasn't clear what prompted the woman to launch the bottle. Security officers handcuffed her and subdued her until she could be taken into custody by Federal Protective Service officers who arrested her. The report did not list her name or what criminal charges she faced. No one was injured, though one person reported feeling ill from the smell of gasoline, and the offices were closed. Thankfully, that's all that happened. The worst case here was that someone got ill from smelling gas. But this says to me that escalation is happening all around us, and it's going to get worse. You know what, man? I said a year ago, two years ago, we were going to start seeing this low level insurgency, people popping up and getting violent. It's going to keep happening. This is now the fifth time, I believe fifth. They say about two weeks ago in San Antonio, at least one vehicle pulled up to a building that houses offices for U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and a gunman fired shots through a window. FBI officials said, uh, said no one was injured. Another building used by ICE was also on fire. So here's the story from the American Spectator. This is from the 15th. 
a fourth ice ice a fourth ice facility has been attacked. The dangerous consequences of political pandering. And they show a picture of Ocasio-Cortez. Let me say something. When Trump says boorish and offensive things, yeah, it's crass, it's crude, and you can criticize it. When Ocasio-Cortez says these are concentration camps, then you can expect violence to happen. It's called stochastic terrorism, and many people are guilty of it. You inflame people knowing the probability of a terror attack is really high. Well, if you go out and say there's concentration camps, if people start associating ICE with the SS and things like that, what do you think is going to happen? What we saw was a man in, I believe, Tacoma show up with an AR-15 that he built. It was a ghost rifle, I believe, and firebombs. And he started shooting at the building and throwing firebombs and he torched a car. He was killed. This is a terrifying and tragic incident. We then saw high profile individuals like Sean King call for more. Well, Sean, congratulations. You are getting the more you asked for. And Twitter won't do anything about it. Twitter won't remove this guy. He is a dangerous zealot calling for violence. And now we have it. And Ocasio-Cortez, she's playing a role in this too. Now, admittedly, she's allowed to call them concentration camps. I think tact is required now. I think we have to be, be wary of how dangerous things are getting. But it seems like these people on the left don't care. The Republican Party has no problem excising the fringes of the far right. The Democratic Party is embracing and allying itself, uh, allying itself with fringes of the far left. Story after story praising Antifa, defending Antifa, defending the violence. Sean King of The Intercept calling for overt acts of terror. And then it happens. Let's read a little bit of this story. Democrats' rhetoric on ICE has come under increasing scrutiny following attacks across the U.S. against facilities associated with the agency and the latest, a Molotov cocktail. But that wasn't ICE. That was a a, a general citizenship agency. The latest attack, uh, attack came early Tuesday morning when armed perpetrators shot at ICE offices in San Antonio, Texas, in what the FBI has described as a targeted attack. Though no one was injured, FBI agent Christopher Combs said in a news conference that had bullets gone two inches in another direction, we, we could be here talking about the murder of a federal official. It's actually not true. Somebody was injured, just not by gunfire. The number of perpetrators, their identity, and their motives are all currently unknown. According to Combs, however, all of the fired shots were directed at the floors of the office complex allotted to ICE, indicating the perpetrators had done research beforehand. The timing of the attack also suggested that it may, may have been intended to intimidate rather than harm ICE employees. Here's what I think we'll see next. A lot of people try to claim that, oh, during the 70s, we had the weather underground. They were doing shock and awe campaigns. It's bad. It's bad. But my understanding is that it was intended to target facilities, buildings when no one was there. We're now hearing about stories where they're attacking buildings with people in them. And this is the escalation. There was uh, a guy who tried to blow up a statue, you know, last year. He got convicted earlier this year, I believe. And now we have what may be the fifth attack on an immigration facility. So do you think this is the end of it? I think the escalation is staring us in the face, but I'll make a few points. Ones, you know, I, I have talked about this in the past, but this is very prudent. It's very important. When we look back on history, we can see, you know, we see everything in, highlight, in a highlight reel. In 1936, X happened. In 1937, this happened. Not realizing that between these two major historical moments was a year, and we could be sitting in between this. For all we know, they report 50 to 100 years from now. Second American Civil War started in 2016, started in 2013, started during Occupy Wall Street. We have no idea. For all we know, they will report on this as though we're in the midst of the Civil War. 
and they say a few years after this, you know, what, what triggered the initial civil war. Now, I, I think I think it's probably not that you know going to be that uh, be the case, but we may be looking at what becomes the start when they report in the history books in the future of whatever the internet holds that people started attacking federal facilities. And I think when you have a fringe far left that is willing to engage in Molotov cocktail rifle violence against the government, isn't it really funny? They act like it's, 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 so, it's, it's inverted. It's the Republicans, it's the conservatives saying we need a Second Amendment to protect against a tyrannical government. It's the left that calls for gun control. And now it's the left that is attacking federal facilities. Isn't that weird? I don't know what will happen, you know, but I know that the escalation is happening all around us. A year ago, before any of these attacks, I said it would get worse. Looking at the street violence, I said, don't, ex- don't be surprised if you see insurgency. You see people popping up with guns and stuff like that. We started seeing the rise of right and left-wing militias. And now we're seeing federal agencies, you know, th- then we saw the federal agencies called concentration camps. They're showing photos, likening it to Nazi Germany. And then people started stepping up with guns and shooting. So I don't know what you can expect. I, I know that a lot of facilities and military uh, facilities are on high alert. At least that's what's been reported to me, that security is being heavily increased. I know, that, I know that after this, don't be surprised if security goes crazy at these facilities. And what can we expect? Cops on every corner, armed with rifles, metal detectors everywhere. That's how bad it's going to get. But all of it will lead to escalation. Because when the security forces come out to prevent this, the left will use it as propaganda. They'll say, see, the fascists, they're arming themselves. They're stepping up. It's a police state. They want the escalation. And this is how we get there. It's dominoes falling over, man. I don't think anything can stop it. But this is scary stuff. Uh, I do try to keep these segments short, so I'm not going to finish reading the second story. And, and uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know what else to say, but thanks for hanging out. Admittedly, this day was a little dry because I'm rushing, but stuff is getting scary, man. Hopefully, hopefully our event will, be, uh, will have been a smash hit and we can talk about how things need to be toned down. Thanks for hanging out. Next video will be tomorrow at 10 a.m. podcast at 630 and I will see you all then.